JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. Right, joining us now, the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline, the regular season champion of the Big Ten, the Big Ten tournament champion, the Purdue Boilermakers, their head coaches, Matt Painter. Hello, Matt. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. So you got to wait. You got to wait to find out who you prepare for mm-hmm. until tomorrow night. Give me a little bit of insight on that dynamic. Yeah, you know, obviously the, the play-in games um, in Dayton on Tuesday and Wednesday, our game is, win, is one of the games on Wednesday night between Farley Dickinson and Texas Southern. So, you know, it's kind of like going into the Big Ten tournament. You know, you got Rutgers and Michigan. And uh, I told our staff, I go, whoever you think is going to win and you prepare more for, they won't. And so, like, <laughs> it's just one of those things that you can't <laughs> predict. I don't know how many times this is a little different, but we went like a four – four out of five year stretch where the game before us that we waited for went into overtime. And so just like, you know, it's kind of expect the unexpected type stuff. And you got to prepare obviously for both teams and be ready. Then obviously Wednesday night after you watch the game, you know, you have a day and a half to two days before you play, you know, now you can just kind of lock into that team. But the most important team is always going to be your team. You got to watch them. You got to watch the other team. You got to scout. You got to know what's going on. But you got to have your own team in the right frame of mind. So, Matt Painter, the head coach of the Boilermakers, I don't think I've ever asked you this. How, how difficult, honestly, is it to go from the season where you get – and I know you don't have a great deal of time between Big Ten tournament games for prep, but you've seen nearly every – obviously everybody, right. and you prepared for them. How difficult is this in, in this kind of bounce-back situation in a tournament to prepare for game after game? Um, it's the same for everybody. So I don't think anybody quite has an advantage. I think the more uh, disciplined you are, the more experienced you are, the more mature you are as a group, as a team, that helps you move from game to game and kind of understand things. I always talk about, you know, you're making mistakes when you win and you're doing good things when you lose. Obviously, one's going to weigh over the other because obviously you lost one game and you won the other one. But there's still a silver lining in there. You know, who's grabbing the silver lining and learning why they win? And that's what you got to be able to do. Um, so, like, that's what we'll do here in practice for the last two days is try to shore up some of the things um, that are consistent in the game no matter what happens. Like, you got to take care of the basketball. you got to rebound. I don't care who your opponent is. But then there's some other things where you struggle. You know, Now you're going to go put in a little bit extra work because right now you're not going to go through other people's stuff very much. You're going to do a little bit of things from a general standpoint, but you don't know who you're going to play once again. And now get better. You know, Get better as a team. Get better collectively. And I think those things can really help you because if you're fortunate enough to win you know, the first game, 
Now, how you handle that next game and that next scout is really important. So sometimes, you know, teams are really difficult. We're hoping yeah. to be that difficult team, you know. And so instead of kind of thinking always, you know, kind of engineering your thoughts about like like what you have to do for them, they still got to guard you. They still got to adjust to you. So who's worried about who? So hopefully you know what the hell you're doing from a defensive standpoint, but also causing a lot of problems to your opponent from an offensive standpoint. How do you factor in rest this time of year? Yeah, um, we've taken two days off the previous two weeks, and I could have taken off two days right here because we play on Friday, but we're going to practice a little bit today. We're going to go for about an hour, hour and 15 minutes, not very long, but just to, to work on some things that we need to work on. Um, but for the most part, if you'll allow – see, your schedule is going to flip when it comes to conference, and you don't set your conference schedule. But you're going to get a gap in there where you have some more time off. But, you you know, you can't pick that. They pick that. Right. So ours was at the end of the year. Even though we struggled, we were getting um, – we were getting some rest in there. We were getting, and it's more from just kind of a mental approach than anything, kind of getting away from it for a day, getting away from it for two guys that are banged up, hopefully, you know, getting healthy, but also from a mental standpoint, like it's a grind. Like, you know, we, we start, you know, working and doing stuff in June and, you know, you got to keep things in perspective because, you know, you want to be peaking and playing your best basketball at this time of the year. So you can't lose your mind sometimes June, July, August, September, you know, the time, but you've got to be getting things in and you got to be working on things from a building block standpoint to where you're getting better. You keep improving because you're going to have struggles in certain areas as you're trying to gel your team. Now you want to have it right at the end of the year. The problem is everybody else is going to have the same recipe. You know, so, so it's not like you're yeah. you know, doing something that other people aren't. So Matt Painter, the head coach of the Purdue Boilermakers via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on the regular season title and the Big Ten tournament title. How, how special has this season, with still a lot of work to be done, but how special has this season been for you and your team so far? Yeah, you know, we, we talked about, you know, at the end right there, like what we were learning as, as we were losing some games. Um, and that's what you want, you know, you know, it's just some growth right there. You want to keep getting better. You move to the next game, you know, and stay in process base. And sometimes it's missing free throws. Sometimes it's missing open shots. No one's trying to do some of those things. When you have some fundamental issues, you know, you want to be able to kind of get better, you know, in those areas. But being able to win the league by three games like that's that was that was huge for our guys. It's a great accomplishment, you know, for to be able to kind of separate from the pack because we have a lot of really good teams. Um, you know, in our league. So, obviously, winning the tournament, <clears throat> a little different, neutral court, three games, three days. Some people have to play four games. Some people have to play five games if they can pull it off. Um, so, that was cool that we were able to do that for the first time in the same year, um, and we've never done that before. So, our guys have been able to kind of, you know, win in the, you know, Phil Knight's tournament against the, the quality competition, being able to win our league by three games, then being able to win the tournament. Like, you know, our, our guys have really hung in there. On some neutral courts, obviously away. Being seven and three on the road in the Big Ten might be the biggest accomplishment. The problem for us was we we started off six and zero, oh, so you don't look at it that way. You know, you go yeah. one and three in the last four games. But last time I checked, everybody that beat us was pretty good. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I want to bring up Phil Knight and out in Portland. How much do you think that prepped your team in the success that they had for the type of season overall that they've had to this point, Matt? Well, I think it gave them, you know, confidence that they belonged. 
<clears throat> obviously we go from unranked after that tournament to fifth in the country. So to be able to beat Marquette at home, which really outplayed us for the first 30 minutes of that game, um, and then to win neutral games against West Virginia, Gonzaga, and Duke in kind of the fashion that we did, uh, all three were double-digit you know, wins um, out of the Phil Knight thing. I think that was the really the, the, the point for us that, that builds some confidence for our group, you know, that, that, that we could be special and, and, and do some really nice things um, going forward. If we, you know, play, play together at that time, I thought we did some really good things offensively. Our defense, we were scheming a little bit, but our defense, um, you could tell, was drastically improved from the year before. We just were more, more connected. And, um, but, you know, I think confidence is huge. And I think they just, I think our guys felt good about themselves, and that really helped them. Offense or defense? And you mentioned this, Matt, to me before that, you know, sometimes your offense looks really good, and the only reason why it looks good is because you're knocking down shots. And sometimes it looks right. good when you're not knocking down shots. Right. And when, when you've got 40 minutes and somebody could be hot and remain hot, how, how difficult is this in the importance between what your team gives you on the defensive end compared to the offensive end that we've talked about before with your team, Matt? Where's the importance lie here? <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I think if you watch us play, we get a lot of open shots, and like that's, I think that's been frustrating for our guys because I think we have some skilled, you know, players that haven't consistently shot the ball well, but they're fully capable of, and you know, we know that they can knock down those shots. So we we had a lot of open shots in, in the Big Ten tournament. We we shot better the first two games. The last game we didn't shoot as well. It really would have separated the game. You know, we went six for twenty eight from three. You know, you knocked down four or five more threes. It just changes the whole game. Yeah. But those looks weren't tough looks. Those looks were wide open looks. And that's what we got to just step into and knock down. And that's what's exciting about the tournament now, because for us, if we can keep playing well on the defensive end and just keep executing and playing through Zach. Now, if we can get those same type of shots, I'm confident our guys are going to step up and make them. You know, the one thing, and I talked to Bruce Weber about this yesterday, and I haven't kept a stat on this. It's just from, from watching the most dangerous situation, I think, for, for your team or anybody's team defensively is that defensive glass. Because if you don't get it, the kick out for a wide open step into three, which for so many of these dudes, Matt, is a layup, that to me is like the most dangerous thing out of it. And I, I almost put the level of importance on your defensive glass around in the NCAA in this tournament, especially in a one-and-done atmosphere, about as important as anything else, at least from what I've watched. Yeah, you know, if you can secure rebounds um, and keep us off the offensive glass, like that's really going to help you. He, When you take him away, um, a lot of times that puts him in really good offensive rebound position. So we almost flip it on you if you can't get him the basketball. The people that full front and really get up there and do some things, it just really opens up. He's had games this year where he's had 10 offensive rebounds in, a, you know, yeah. in, a, in one game. You know? And so, like, those things. But he's, he's really smart about, you know, when he's bottled up, about like you talked about, those spray-out threes after offensive rebounds. You know, and, and that's what you want. And, see, that's what you get a lot. Um, when the ball goes in the post and it doubles and it gets into rotations, you get step-in threes. The same thing with the spray-out threes after offensive rebounds or step-in threes. That's the highest percentage three. You're not on the move. You're not dribbling the basketball. You're just stepping in and shooting things in rhythm like you do in warm-ups. The Mason Gillis offensive glass crash, is that because yeah. most of the time his guy comes over and doubles Zach, or is that by design from him because he's good at it? 
Yeah, no, no matter what, he's charging. You know, he's he's coming in there, and um, you know, at times he'll get a couple fouls right there. But you know, you want. You know, you want him being aggressive. When you go high-low, a lot of times those guys that guard the guy up top, which you have to guard him, they go flying at Zach. So if Zach turns around and shoots before he gets there, those guys, you know, you can't go and double him and box out Mason at the same time. So you got a choice that you have to make in those situations. And so we try to move our guys as much as possible because we know eyes – and awareness go towards Zach. And then that's what we're trying to get that big to big dump down, trying to get the spray out threes, trying to get people in rotations. While we stay, you know, people, especially people that don't double, like they could be good at maybe doubling if they don't do it, but they're not going to be good in a rotation. Like you, it, it takes a lot of coaches will, if they're le- actually listening, um, will not on this because they just, you know, coaches, that's why you see them switch a lot now. Like you might not ultimately like the matchup after you switch, but you just don't like being in rotations. Like when you get in rotations, you get behind, people are going to bust you on closeouts. They're going to drive the basketball. It's going to lead to more fouls. You're just flying around, but everybody's got to be in rotations at some point. You try to minimize them. Well, when you deal with him and if you're going to double him, then you're going to live in a rotation. So now it's just getting to the right spots, moving the basketball and, and really learning how to attack. Yeah, I just I rarely see anybody straight line crash like Mason Gillis does, and I mean this consistently. And he does. I mean it. Right. It's you know it doesn't matter who's in it. He just he goes straight. There's no yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no roundabout way that he goes. He just goes straight to the rim, and it's like consistently on on, on every shot. And especially to me, what I've noticed, Matt, is when that ball goes into the post to Zach. Yeah, when it's high low like that, a lot of those guys just turn and they go and they give their attention to Zach and then you know, they ignore him and that just gives him a lane just to to dive in there and fly in there and he, he's initially trying to get that big to big pass to get that layup because you know that's what and if they take that away then you're going to pull people from the weak side so now you've doubled the post maybe tripled the post and then that dive takes another guy well that's either that's three people you've taken on or maybe even four people you've taken on there now you're into just one more pass out of that for a shot or one more pass than the hockey assist hey matt can there be a noticeable change in the whistle from going from a regular season big 10 tournament to the Mm -hmm. ncaa tournament without question Without question, there can be. And then, you know, just this this is what gets with officials, and there can't be. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you get used go, to something. That's all the. This has been a fan base yeah. kind of argument forever, man. And I kind of wanted you to speak to that, not just for your own team, but, but for everybody, especially out of the Big Ten in this case. Yeah, and we've had some games, especially on the road. We had three or four games, and if I lined up and queued up, like the calls or the things that aren't called, like you would like – it would get to where it's hysterical because you can't believe that they just allowed it to go on. For me, it's like, you know, control what you can control. So like if we get a bad whistle on the road and we turn it over 17 times, man, it's, even though I'll say something every now and then, it's hard for me to say something. It's like, turn the ball over 17 times. You went 10 for 18 from the free throw line. Like, make your free throws and take care of the ball. Then if these things happen, like, okay, fight for your team. You know, argue for Zach, whatever you got to do. But let, let's keep, you know, let's keep our mindset on things that we can control unless it's really egregious. It got really egregious for about a three or four game stretch where they just ignored things. They, they were just, you know, they were just killing him. And now the last five, six, seven games of the year, and in some of those games we struggled, I thought they did a pretty good job. I thought the whistle in the tournament was a lot better in the Big Ten tournament was a lot better. But I thought the end of the season was a lot better. It just took him a while to adjust 
uh, how some things were getting called. And then we had some refs come from other leagues. They just totally ignored obvious things. They just let him get beat up. And, you know, so you get into the tournament. I know what happens in the tournament because those guys want to advance. They're going to all call consistently on what the head guy wants because they want to go. They want to go from the first game to the second game, get to the Sweet 16, just like teams, players, and coaches. They want to do the same thing. So that's where I think you see a more consistent whistle. What I don't like about it, and I've always voiced it, is I don't like getting crews that have never worked together. I just think that it, it makes no sense. I don't know why you can't have two leagues going against each other, have a neutral league that has three officials that can work that. Maybe it just can't from the, the semantics of things and organically like work that way. But I, I just don't like getting in you know, to really, really good games and tough games. And then you got three strangers out there working all three good individual refs. But the whole thing is how well do they, you know, how well do they ref a game together? So they they judge individually and not collectively to move forward right. here, correct? Yeah, yeah. They they've had a little bit of it in the past where they've had some crews advance together because they've been so good together. But you're you're talking very very rare. Um, I've always thought that makes a lot of sense, and I think you would have a a, a better ref game. Um, you'd have you'd have a better collaboration too. Sometimes it's hard for those guys, you know, when they get there and they're they're collaborating with people that they're familiar with that they've been reffing with for ten right. years. Right, that's reputation. That yeah. yeah, yeah. It doesn't mean you can't collaborate with other people that are good officials. I'm not saying that you can't do it, but you just have. It's no different than being on a staff or having a team. Like you know, you, you build trust. And if you don't have trust in each other, even though everybody's knowledgeable in the group, I just think that you don't have the same cohesiveness. How does uh, you prepare Zach for you know possibilities on, on stuff? That, I mean, obviously you're not going to you're he's not going right. to wave the red flag, but how do you how do you? Yeah, prepare he's, him for he's that? all right. He, he gets it. He, he's pretty mature about stuff, and he understands that you know don't don't let them fouling you you know lead to you fouling them because then they're going to call it on you. Like be smart about it. No one to be physical, no one to be aggressive, and no one, especially when they're getting aggressive on him, no one to make simple plays and just pass the basketball. But, you know, be physical without fouling. You know, that there, there's an art to it, and you learn to do that as a player. And he's really done a good job of, you know, keeping his elbows in, not swinging his elbows, protecting himself, protecting yeah. the basketball. But he's got a good feel for things. You know, it doesn't mean there's not some hiccups right there, but he's pretty mature about stuff. When he argues, he rarely, rarely is wrong. He didn't argue very much. So he, when you see him when you see him argue and he outwardly does something, I sometimes can't see it, especially in the first half. That's when I'm like, you know, he's not a guy that begs. You know, and he when he argues, he's he got fouled and they missed it. He um he seems more straight up, especially defensively, than I've ever seen him. I mean, he, he, he seems very noticeably cognizant of you know making sure he's trying to be straight up and doesn't give the opportunity for that whistle, especially kind of a ticky tack whistle that you can get. Yeah, he got one other day in the game. Um, was that the Katie reaction one right there? Is that what we're talking about? Was. It might have yeah. been that one. Yeah, yeah, he got one other day. But like, no, he's he, he's good with it. Like, you're, you're going to get some things, and you know, when when guys go to shoot, you know, for him especially, like you know, challenge high. Don't swipe when guys shoot it. You know, swipe when guys drive it, but don't swipe when they shoot it because you swipe and you miss or you barely hit somebody. Those guys almost, you know, they almost call that. Um, every single time. So yeah. just trying to go as high as possible, especially when you when you have the reach that he does. Here's Matt Painter, the head coach of the Boilermakers. Before I let you go, um, at the uh, the conversation you had after you guys won the Big Ten Conference Tournament, obviously it was talking about the way 
uh, that the game ended the way that you closed out. Um, mm-hmm. What would you tell your team after that, the way that that thing went, the way Penn State got back in it, the way you closed it out and won? But how do you how do you yeah. move forward from that? And what did you tell yeah. the group after that game? Well, that's – yeah, we didn't tell them anything because you, you celebrate and you yeah. do stuff and you don't want to take it. But we, that's what we're going to – that's what we'll work on today. You know, we, we talked about it going into the tournament. We talked about it after the first and the second game. And it's not really like what we're doing against the press. It's just individuals – being able to do their job and then being able to read scenarios and being able to handle pressure and help each other. So we got to do a better job of using our voices. We got to do a better job of helping each other, but also just squaring and looking at your goal. Like we're flashing and catching the basketball and then not looking at our goal. We're catching the basketball too deep in the corner. Um, And sometimes you get stuck that way, but when you do square up and see your goal, and then you can make passes. Now you have sideline. Now you have inbounder. Now you have middle. Now you have long opposite. You have a lot of possessions. We just had some guys not be fundamentally sound, leave their feet when they pass, not help people when their man goes in traps. So it's a lot of drill work. We've done a lot of work on this. And I know like Coach Weber is asking questions, half joking, half serious about like you guys work on the press or whatever. You know, we just got guys that just have to, you know, feel better about it and just take care of it. And, um, and and when we do, we've actually done a good job throughout the year. We've just had some hiccups here. And, um, you know, just be fundamentally sound. I know you come off like your grandpa when you say, you know, be fundamentally sound. But that's all it is. It's passing and catching. And, and, and just taking care of it and helping each other out. Matt, our grandparents knew what the hell they were talking about. You know what I yeah, mean? We just, didn't, we, we just didn't think so. But now we, now we get it. <laughs> now we get it. Too damn old. By the way, I, I was talking to Bruce Weber on the show yesterday, and he did bring up the whole the, the press thing. And you know, it's like you, you never work on it. Yeah, you know what? Now nah, we just go out, screw it. We're not going to work on it at all. So we're yeah. not paying attention to it. But it uh, is good. Have, in closing, have you seen um, a landscape of college basketball that seemingly – is as as even with really good teams as we've seen across the board this year? No question. I, I think you know, you kind of see it in the tournament when you have, you look at seeds and you look at different things and you know, you'll see like a two fifteen game, then you'll see a seven ten game and you'll be like, man, there's not a lot of difference between that two seven and that ten. There's a difference between the fifteen doesn't mean the fifteen can't win or the sixteen can't win because they can, but there's not a lot of differences with those teams. Obviously, the twos had. I'm just using that as an example. The twos had um, a better year, and the seven has had a little bit better year than the ten. But when it gets down to it on a neutral court in those teams, there's not a big difference. And and sometimes in fans they see that that two gets beat by that ten. After the 10 beats the 7, they're like, man, what in the world? This is an upset. It's an upset by numbers. But um, one of the crazy things is uh, is seeing the line, right? You see a line of who's favored, and you'll see that 2 versus the 10, and the, t- the 2 will be favored by a point. And you'll be like, it's the 10 and the 2. Like, come on. <laughs> like, how can that be? But it's that's the way it is. It's very it, – it's, it's way more even than people think um, it, it is at that time. And that's what, you know – as you get into it, that's what you got to look at. It's just a game. Just look at it as like a regular tournament, like yep. you're going to Maui, to Maui to play. And then when you play those teams, like you're like, all oh, these teams are good. Well, that's the NCAA tournament. Like all these teams are good. And so, and I always tell our players, like everybody earns their way here. Like this isn't an exempt tournament where they signed up four years ago. Like everybody earned their way into this one. 
I, I think of it this way too. You guys beat Gonzaga back in November in Portland, and Gonzaga has you know had you know good teams throughout. Certainly the past five years. I, I don't know if this team for Gonzaga is as talented as many in the past five years prior, two of which went to the national championship game. But because everybody is so, and I mean good, evenly right here, this this may be a really good chance for them to advance. Even though a lot of those that are in the know, I guess nationally suggest that they're not nearly as as good as what they have been. It just kind of shows the evenness at a higher level this season. Yeah, there's a lot of parity, but I think there's been a lot of parity. I don't think there's that one team in in this year that – that jumps out. I think Kansas, to me, jumps out because I like their experience. They, they've, had, they've had a very good year, but I like their experience of being in the tournament last year and winning it. And so, like, if anybody would get a nod, I think they would get a nod just because they've been through it before. Not to say other people haven't been through it, but not to that degree where they've had that kind of success, you know, being in a championship game, being down 15 and a half, coming back and winning it, you know. Uh, it, it, it kind of speaks volumes to that. So if anybody separates there a little bit, I, I would give the nod to them. No doubt. It's Matt Painter. Hey, by the way, too, I didn't ask you to speak on this because that's further down the road, but Dusty May, the head coach of Florida Atlantic, is a really good friend of mine. We're from the same high school in southwestern Indiana, a very small high school called Eastern Green. So he's got a, a game, a first-round matchup with Memphis that, I don't know, right. it could happen, but uh, he's going to come on a little bit later on today. So very happy yeah, with no what doubt. he's it's accomplished. A, they're, they're, a good, they're a good team, man. You know, they won 31 games. Uh, a lot of dudes that play together, Matt. A lot of dudes that have played yes. together for a bit. There you go. And they yeah. can shoot. They all can shoot. Um, one through four, and they can defend, and they have interchangeable pieces. They got a kid from the region, John L. Davis. It's a really good player, good piece, man. The guy can play multiple positions, can guard multiple positions, competitive, knows what's going on. Yeah, he's done a really, really good job. Hey, Matt, it's always a pleasure, man. Thanks for hopping on here, and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk, chat further down the road, man. Congratulations on everything this year, and the best of luck moving forward. All right. Thanks, man. He is a star of not just stage, but of screen as well, given the fact that he was making his first appearance on the Today Show, first ever from Eastern Green High School to appear on the Today Show, unless it was in a mugshot. It um, is head coach of Florida Atlantic, Dusty May is with us. Big fella, congratulations. I'm proud of you. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. I also appreciate you having me on. Hey, is it going to be Salisbury East in Columbus coming up on Friday? Do we know? Yeah, I think so. We have a lot. Anna, uh, my wife, handling all tickets and everything oh, else. Oh, no. So, uh, we, we can focus on hoops. So I'm not really sure who's going, who's not, but I'm sure we'll have a nice contingency. You're not letting David Hayes and his long nickelback hair handle the tickets there? Come on. I think the dude might be there. I sense, I sense a road trip for real too. What a great year! And how did the whole Today Show thing come about? I watched that. That was a fantastic piece. Yeah, the uh, the correspond the Miami Beach correspondent. Uh, he knows someone in in our president's office, and I guess back in maybe January, she saw him at a social event and told him about our our team and the momentum we were we were. Uh, Get, you know, we're, we're gathering it. And, and so he just said, hey, if it keeps going, uh, that might be a nice piece later on. So he started following us. And then obviously with uh, the, the late season success we had, uh, they jumped they jumped on the opportunity. It was, it was pretty cool for our school to see, uh, you know, uh, our, our basketball team on, on 
uh, a program of that magnitude. He is Dusty May, the head coach of Florida Atlantic. Their 8-9 matchup in round number one is coming up on Friday in Columbus. That is against Memphis. I want to get to your matchup in a second, but I do want to ask you this, and, and I've known you for a long time. I mean, you're grounded as hell. I know you can take all this on and, you know, focus, you know, tunnel vision on basketball. That's going to be no issue for you. But honestly, how much has been coming at you for the past couple of days with all of this in mind? Yeah, a lot. I mean, it's you know, you go from uh, maybe 15 minutes a day of media to several hours a day of media, and, and the position we're in, we can't pass that up now. It does so much for uh, the growth of our athletic department, the uh, perception of our university. So it, it's something that is part of our job. It's a responsibility and something we're happy to do. Uh, but it, it is a lot, and it's distracting. But um, I'd much rather have that than the alternative. Well, and there's no doubt about that. And I mentioned you as a grounded individual that can stay focused on the task. But the thing that I've noticed about your team, it's a group that is very team-oriented and also a group that I'm assuming you have no problem with being able to handle a spotlight for the first time like they're getting. No, you know, I, we were paying close attention to how they would respond to the, the attention that we were getting uh, Got the winning streak for the season, and and I was amazed as a as an adult that they stayed as focused and uh, driven as they did after you went five games, ten games, fifteen games, twenty games. Nothing changed uh, with their work ethic, their work capacity. Actually, it, it improved because they wanted more. So it's just a unique group that they love to practice, they love to compete, and they really enjoy each other. And that's, I told someone earlier today on Dale and Cup and Jacob Hester's show on Sirius, I said, that's the thing that I'll remember about this team. You know, you, you think that you're going to remember the championships and all that, but I'll remember the, 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 how well these guys supported each other and they, they were excited for each other's success. And that's not always common in today's climate. But if you watch our guys, whoever makes the play, you see their teammates and you would think they just won the lottery. They're so excited. So that, that's been the, the most gratifying part of this entire season is just seeing how much our guys have sacrificed and supported each other. You know, Dusty May joins us. The Owls of Florida Atlantic with a first-round matchup in Columbus versus Memphis. You still got a lot of work to do and a lot of hills to climb on this. I understand that. I don't want to get all cliched on you. But the impact that this season – to this point even, Dusty, that that will have on Florida Atlantic University and that basketball program has to be immeasurable. Yeah, they, they, they've told us about the, the amount of exposure the university's uh, garnered because of this. It's, it's, it's alarming. It's eye-opening in, in a good way. Uh, but we're proud to do it. Um, it. It's been awesome. We have a great group of guys that really represent our community and, and university well. So um, it's, it's gone fast. It seems surreal. But, um, you know, it, we're worried now that uh, our concern has now shifted towards not just being happy that we made the tournament, but go to the tournament and play up to our potential and stay as hungry as we've been all year and uh, see, see if we can make some noise. Do you get into them at all if you see as if – Maybe there's any complacency, and I'm, I know that there's not. But if you you see, could you see it if it did occur yeah. with this group in the short term, like now? Yeah, it's happened a couple practices. I think we've had 127 or 128 practices, and I'd say maybe two or three this year. And usually, it's just in question form, fellas. Are we really preparing at a championship level? Do we have the same level of focus and intensity that we had last week? And usually, they say, uh, "Let's pick it up. Let's pick it up." And, and that's it. It's not a group that we have to push and prod. We're very, uh, we're player led. Um, it, it's a, 
you know, uh, I learned a lot from Brad Stevens. So we run our program very similar to that. Our players have a lot of input in every decision I make. And uh, sometimes I have to make the best decision for everyone. But uh, I, I really take their input and their contributions in, in all all forms um, in, in every decision we make. And we talked about this, Dusty, too, the last time you were on, whether it was with, you know, Mike White, you know, Louisiana Tech, uh, Florida, uh, whether you go back to Murray State, Eastern Michigan, yeah, IU, uh, USC, all the places where you have been, you take a little bit. You mentioned Brad Stevens as well. You take a little bit out of all these experiences to put it together for how you handle this right now? Absolutely. And, and what I've learned, you know, Coach White was uh, a first-time head coach that was very transparent with what he was feeling throughout the process. So uh, with our guys, we're very vulnerable. We tell them, uh, you know, our, our anxieties, our concerns, the, the things we're going through. And, and we feel like that really helps our, our relationship that we're not these uh, steel, these, these men of steel coaches that we're people. And we have concerns. We have, you know, we have things that we deal with as well. And, and we can all help each other by picking each other up, being supportive and, and really caring uh, for each other's well-being. So it's just a really great group of people that happen to be uh, you know, very talented basketball players as well. Outside of just Memphis itself, and I want you to, to break them down for us in a second, what, do you have any concerns about this group whatsoever going into this this postseason game? Memphis group? Uh, with your group? I mean, I want to get to Memphis uh, in a minute, but just what, what's your major concern outside of the team you're playing, I guess, Dusty? Just, just that we would be content making the tournament. This is the second time in history, and, and obviously the the best season we've ever had here. Just feeling like we've made it by by getting to the tournament, and not putting our best foot forward and playing with the same type of edge that we play because we play with a chip on our shoulder all season. So um, if we continue to do that, then then we'll have a chance against Memphis. But if we go in just happy to be there, then. Uh, they're so talented. They'll, they'll they'll run away from you. Here's what I love about what you guys did. I mean, down the stretch here in your Conference USA tournament, you had to give some payback to get to where you wanted to go. That, to me, in a close game and then in a not-so-close game with two teams that were one of the three that got you in the regular season, that had to make you feel really good about your guys. Yeah, they were extremely motivated. Well, Western Kentucky, our first-round opponent, they were picked first or second in most right. preseason publications. So we, I was terribly concerned that they were going to use this new season as, uh, I guess, a, a new chapter or a new life. And so I was extremely concerned with them. We played well. We got off to a good start. And then Middle Tennessee State, um, they're one of those teams. that Their style of play, their length, their athleticism, just the, the – the chaos they create has always given us problems. We, we lost to them twice last year. They kept us from winning the championship last year, and then they beat us one of our three games this season. So we knew that would be a tough matchup. We got off to a, a, a good start. We had a big lead, and then uh, they came back late and made some really, really good plays, and, and we were able to hang on. And then against UAB, we were able to kind of put it together a little bit where our two first-team all-league guys played like first-team all-league guys, and we defended at a high level, and, and UAB had came off of an extremely emotional win the night before against North Texas. So, uh, we had a lot we had a lot going on in our favor. In addition to feeling like we'd already clinched the tournament bid, so we didn't have that extra stress and, and pressure. Now, what do you think about Memphis? What What do you think about the draw? You know, and uh, listen, I know that you're first timer in this, and you know you just want to get there, put your nose down, and go play. But what do you think about the draw in that first round matchup with Memphis? Well, I think they're underseeded. 
Um, and I know it's a tough job, but man, they're, they're Ken Palm top 20 in the country. They just ran through the AAC tournament, beat Tulane by 40, beat uh, Houston by 20. And so they're playing really good basketball. They're talented. They're old. Uh, DeAndre Williams is, I think, 26 years old. Kendrick uh, Davis is, is probably in, in his mid-20s as well. Those guys have a lot of experience. Uh, they score a lot of points. They affect the game in so many ways. So um, they're, they're a good team. Like I said, I think they were underseeded, but uh, that's all subjective. We need to go play. And, but I do think that they rely on turning teams over. And we have such capable guard play and guard depth that hopefully we can we can manage the the possessions better and hang on to the ball and, and uh, you know find a way to score. So did you call Chris Reynolds and yell at him? <laughs> no, I didn't. Actually, I saw Chris uh, on a, a soundbite and he was talking about how we needed to uh, seek out more quad one and quad oppor- quad two opportunities and. And coming from another, uh, from an athlete director at a really good mid-major in Bradley, um, I would assume he would know that it's a little more difficult than simply seeking out uh, those opponents. So did he direct? Uh, did he know, direct that at you guys? I didn't hear that. Yeah, yeah. The CBS guy uh, had uh, uh, had asked him about FAU, and, and he just said, you know, only nine of our games were quad one or quad two opponents, and we need to do a better job of seeking out those uh, opponents if we wanted to have a higher seed. Uh. And, and, and even with our schedule, we had we scheduled Northern Kentucky, who they were picked to win the, the Horizon. Uh, Detroit was supposed to have one of their best years in a long time. Uh, Eastern Michigan signed Imani Bates, and that was supposed to be the, the most talented Eastern Michigan team they've had in a while. So we scheduled these teams as well. South Alabama, who's a perennial South Alabama, you know, they made the Sun Belt Conference Championship. So we tried to schedule Bryant University, was picked to win their league and went to the tournament last year. So we picked all, we, we scheduled all of these mids, thinking that would help our matrix, or our metrics, and a few of them didn't have great seasons. But we still ended up number 12 in the net, I believe, 11 or 12 in the net. And for us to get a nine seed, um, I guess the, the net, they use the net when they choose to, but um, it didn't make a lot of sense. Why even have that number if you're going to be seeded um, essentially in the top 36 when you're, when you're ranked in the top 12? So, uh, But nonetheless, we're, we're very happy to be there. Uh, and, and we're gonna we're gonna give it our best shot. Maybe you did yell at Chris Reynolds. You can tell me off there if you did. I'll laugh. <laughs> no, nah, nah, I, I was smoking with Chris. But <laughs> no, yeah, you're right. You're on the committee. You're right about the Bradley thing, though. You're right. I mean, if there's somebody yeah. that certainly should know about how difficult it is, and and if you wouldn't mind, Dusty May joins us of FAU. I, explain how you go about uh, with your AD making up this particular schedule because you mentioned the the metrics and what you tried to do with it uh, do you second guess yourself at all with this particular team and how you made up the schedule or did you simply just put it in the best form in which you could to give yourself the best competition both yeah you know we we have an x number of dollars we have to raise in scheduling so the the first thing you do is try to get two high majors to pay you to play a one-time game at their place so we, we were able to get Ole Miss and Florida to play us and, and, and pay us a, a nice chunk of money to play at their place. We went one and two on that one and one in that trip, so we were able to get a split out of our money games. And then after that, it's very strategic of trying to find teams that, that number one, will play you. Um, I don't think there was any team in the state of Florida that, that whether it was because the dates didn't work or, or logistically didn't work, that we had an opportunity to play. Uh, we tried to play in the Orange Bowl Classic, which is – 15 minutes from our campus and UCF and, and uh, I think it was Florida State are in it and we weren't able to be a part of it uh, because they had to write a first refusal. So uh, there's a lot of constraints with scheduling. And then after that, our, our conference uh, uh, 
uh, opponents are so spread out that we don't want to fly all over the country and just wear our guys down in November when we spend all January, February, March on long flights, tough trips. So right. uh, there's a lot that goes into it. Bradley actually put uh, ironically, we were scheduling Bradley to play in a neutral site game uh, on the other side of the state in Florida through an event operator. And they threw out a number, whether, you know, I think they said it's, it's $15,000. So both of us are thinking we're going to get $15,000 to play in this event. And it was $15,000 to pay to play in it. And both of us said, well, that that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so, yeah, that, that, that's just a little snapshot into scheduling at our level. But yeah. as we move up in conferences, as we advance and, and, and uh, generate more revenue for our, for our athletic department, our, our program, I think that it will get a little bit easier as far as the, the financial piece, but it's, it's not going to get easier. We're going to, I know next year we'll just go straight to all the, all the mids that are in the NCAA tournament this year because we know scheduling will be hard for them. We'll call them and say, hey, do you guys want to play? It's going to be hard for both of us. Let's just let's save both uh, parties several hours of, of making calls and, and just play home and home. So that's where we are right now for next year. Like uh, this, this is me being stupid, and you know that that's pretty in-depth, my level of stupidity here. But I, what about like Miami and Florida State, and those are within you know short trips, Central Florida, you know, teams like that within the state of Florida. Is it tough to get games with them even as close as they are? Yeah, well, Florida State's not very close. It's probably an eight. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess you're right, yeah. So that's essentially playing anyone in the SEC. You would have to fly. But, um, yeah, Miami, we played them our first couple years and and had them on the ropes last year. They beat us on on a buzzer beater. And Coach Larinaga said, we, you know, we're not going to be able to play this game anymore. Uh, no reason. I don't know. It, it, you know, everyone's got to do what's best for them. But, yeah, it's, we South Florida, Central Florida, we weren't able to get any of those guys on the schedule, even though they would be bus trips for us. So, um, luckily, next year, South Florida will be in our, our conference. I think we'll probably play like FIU, who we're leaving. So, we will have a couple bus trips in our league. So, um, it's not as if you just pick opponents. The dates have to work. The finances have to work. Uh, the location has to work. We try to only do direct flights because we only fly commercial. So, um, like I said, there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, the, the coach on our staff that does schedule it, he's got to spend a nice chunk of time almost every single day working on it. All the mid-majors that are in this NCAA tournament, do they, for the most part, feel the same way that you do in a lot of ways, Dusty? Unless they they were expected to be bad and they ended up being good. Okay. Yeah, if you look at the teams that advanced, uh, you know, Kennesaw State – the last couple of years, they haven't been very good now uh, with their success, and they'll have a, a good group returning next year. I assume they'll have a lot of issues scheduling games next year. And the same will be with Furman and, and all the other teams that are really good mid-majors. Because, you know, in the high majors, defense, if they beat them, they're supposed to. If they lose to them, then how could you lose to this school or that school? So, it's a, it, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Did you ever try to get a game with IU? Uh, yes, I've, I've, I've made a few calls and, and, and emails, and they, they're usually pretty far ahead in their scheduling, and uh, we just haven't gotten a lot of traction. I don't know if it's because of dates or uh, I don't know if it's the, the, uh, us not having a national brand or name or whatever the case. But, yeah, we've reached out in the past couple of years for whatever reason. just hasn't worked out. You guys, and Dusty Mays, the head coach of Florida Atlantic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, 31-3. and three. 
And I was curious about this. I saw I saw Dustin Hayes and David Hayes last week, by the way, down in GC, and we were kind of talking about this. Were, were, was there any concern of yours? And I know that there's no longer concern because you're in, but was there any concern that if you did not win the Conference USA tournament title that you would not get an at-large bid? Well, we felt like going into the conference, when we finished our last, I think, four or five games, we won our last four or five, and each one of, one of them felt like a championship game because our guys knew that we needed to keep winning for a championship and also for that large. And then once we got in the conference tournament, we felt like we were probably in, but we needed to beat Western Kentucky to sleep well at night. And I think it was after the Western, Western Kentucky game. It was, it's all a blur at this point. But yeah. I got an alert on my phone that ESPN and some other national um, – uh, maybe CBS and ESPN, whatever the case, the, the national outlets uh, had, a, had a text or a tweet that went out that said that we were a lock in this NCAA tournament. So uh, going after we beat Middle Tennessee State, we felt like we were a lock. And going into the UAB game, that was one of our messages to our players. We weren't clinched a bit. We're in. Uh, they're they're going to be the ones that have all the pressure on them. We just have to go figure out a way to beat UAB for 40 minutes. We don't have all the other stuff to worry about. We can play free. We can play loose. And uh, it, it seemed as if our guys didn't play with a lot of stress on them. They just went out and played, uh, uh, you know, their habits or whatever. You know, you bring up a great point. I don't think we've talked about this. The travel within your conference is incredible. The lengths in yeah, which you have to is. go to play games. Yeah, UTEP's far from uh, Boca Raton. That was, <laughs> You're not. <laughs> For those of you that didn't have Jeffrey Goodman, geography. <laughs> Yeah, I'm getting up my slide rule right now. It seems to be a heavy mileage situation right there. <laughs> it does. Yeah, and people don't realize how far we are from everything. I mean, yeah. we're we're a flight from everywhere. We're basically uh, we're 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 almost in the keys. Yeah, that's incredible, man. It really is. I, I the incredible thing is is you guys where you are, and you don't want that complacency to set in and. What do you expect to get from that that Memphis team coming up on Friday night? Because it's a talented group. As you mentioned, you feel that they were a little bit underseeded here, so they may have a bit of a chip, too. What do you think you're getting into coming up in Columbus on Friday, Dust? Uh, We're getting into a very talented, long, athletic, fast team that plays hard. Uh, Defensively, they they disrupt everything you do. They trap in the backcourt. They trap in the frontcourt. They're going to force you to play basketball and make decisions. And uh, if you get sped up and you're, you're careless for a half a second, they, they take advantage of it. And then they have uh, possibly the, the best point guard in all of college basketball. Kendrick Davis, trans- grad transfer there from SMU. And these American Athletic Conference uh, leading uh, score, assist uh, man, and free throw, uh, free throw attempted in the history of the conference. So um, – possibly the the best college point guard uh, in the land. And then they've got a DeAndre Williams, who actually transferred from Evansville, had the big game against Kentucky a few years ago when, when Walter McCarty was still the coach. He's still at Memphis. He's a first-team all-league player, and he's a matchup nightmare at six foot nine, long, athletic. He shoots three, scores, drives it, and plays uh, with a real chip on his shoulder all the time. Great energy, great motor. Yeah, man. It's it's going to be a hell of a game, too. I'm always reminded of this because back when they were in Memphis State, our good friend Andy Harper's best favorite player used to be Baskerville Holmes, who I don't think any longer is with us, but was a fantastic player back in the 1980s right there. I'm often reminded of Memphis and then Memphis State because of our good friend Andy Harper back in the GC days right there. 
Yep, yep. The staff is just, they're grateful that uh, there's not a one-on-one matchup between the head coaches. <laughs> there's no doubt about that. I wanted to bring that up, too. Noon ball, I didn't, I didn't get enough out of you last time. When you first started this journey, which has been incredible, Dusty Mays, the head coach of Florida Atlantic, going into the NCAA tournament coming up on Friday against Memphis in the 8-9 game in Columbus, joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. But your first stop was for Henry Bibby at USC. And you talked about noon games. We used to play morning yeah. basketball with Mark Barnheiser at Eastern. These were noon games at USC with Pete Carroll and Steve Sarkeesian and others. We didn't we didn't yeah, get well, enough of that out of you last time. Yeah, Lane Kiffin. I remember Dennis Thurman would play with former Cowboys safety or our secondary. Uh, Lisa Leslie would play with us with some of the sparks. It was a it was a big deal. The games were great. They're competitive. And, uh, you know, the age range was, was about 25 to 50. So, uh, yeah, just, just a lot of fun to do it at noon. A lot, a lot healthier than eating a big lunch. Does Lane Kiffin have a floater? Does he got a float game going? And, uh, he's a motor. He was a rebounder. And uh, I think he, he was in it just for the exercise. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> he's going to be the dude that may hurt somebody accidentally, is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> he plays like a football coach. <laughs> yes. If, if you're playing for the exercise, then you're probably going to accidentally hurt somebody out there. That's normally how yeah. how that goes. Pete Carroll, Pete Carroll may be the only guy I know that fouls more than I do. So if you play with him, you might need a, an injury attorney. <laughs> Pete, Pete, Car- Pete Carroll's a pickup hoop foul machine. I have no idea. Oh, he's aggressive. He's tough as nails, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, I am so happy for you. Seriously, when I saw you on the Today Show, I thought, man, there we go. That is awesome. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. you know, obviously I've, I've followed you for so many years, and we remain in touch. Uh, we have a lot of laughs. But uh, growing up in uh, eastern, eastern Greene County, you and Salisbury, me in Owensburg, it, um, it is sort of surreal to see you at this point. But, man, I could not and we could not around here be more happy with what you have accomplished, man. Keep that thing going. Appreciate it. Hopefully we'll we'll be playing the Boilers on Sunday. Yeah, I talked um, a little bit earlier. I brought that up. I don't don't like to get – when I have coaches on, I don't like to get, like, ahead, right, of of game situations. But, you know, obviously he knows already a great deal about you guys and – Said obviously some nice things about you. He's he's one of my favorites to talk to. Uh, I, I mean, yeah. just an incredible amount of knowledge. And I just say, hey, basketball, and he'll he'll talk about stuff that people really want to hear, and uh, for you know better part of ten minutes, and it's always a good conversation. So he was in a small coaching group at, at a Florida clinic this August, and and I don't think I've ever been around him where I didn't take five to ten different things, you know, nuggets from him, and he just has great perspective on our profession on coaching as a whole and I don't think you can listen to Coach Painter and not learn something if you spend more than 30 seconds with him. No, there's no doubt. Hey, have you heard from anybody IU-wise about what, what you guys have accomplished so far? Yeah, just about everyone. I mean, I, I, you know, the, the, the neatest ones were probably Pat Knight reached out the other day and Ryan Carr with the Pacers has reached yep. out and then Lawrence Frank reached out yesterday and Lawrence Frank is kind of the one, that, the, the one guy that all of us managers kind of looked up to just because of his uh, rapid ascension into, into the coaching profession when we were still young. So, yeah, it's been really neat to, to get all the text from your former players and, and former staffers that you worked with. 
Um, Dan Block actually came, who was the manager and staffer with Mid-Indiana, Coach AU as well together. He came down to the conference tournament, and now he'll be in Columbus. So a lot of the managers that, that I worked with, they're going to make it over for the trip. So, what you know, it's been really neat to connect with so many people because of the attention our players have, uh, have allowed us to, to receive. Hey, you've been in a lot of places, too, and Dusty May joins us. In closing, what do you think the most important piece of you and what you become as a coach? Where did you get that? Uh, my most important quality is that is that what you mean? Yes. Just the, you know, you learn it as a manager. You, you learn to serve. You learn to to give everything you have. But I think what I learned from Coach Barnheiser, the love of the game, the passion that, that we all had for it, and then just try to give that and never chase the money, never chase the business side of it. Just be the absolute best basketball coach you can be. Uh, serve your players. Try to help them in every way, and it just kind of works out. I've never. I've never looked at myself more than just a basketball coach because that's, that's all I ever wanted to be. So uh, nothing more than that. Just try to treat people right and uh, do everything you can for the players. Let me tell you, too, watching Brooks play, <laughs> it's such a joy, man. It I know, I know. Knowing what we all know. Hey, very happy for you. We'll stay in touch. Hey, make, make sure that everybody in Salisbury doesn't put stuff on your plate over there. Let them Salisbury hang out with Salisbury. And, you know, you obviously keep that tunnel vision on that game. The best of luck against Memphis, and uh, certainly we will keep in touch with you regardless. Tell everybody if I don't get a chance to say hello in the family, I said hello to. We're really happy for you, Dusty. Congratulations. Thanks, John. Talk soon. The Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, I'm assuming, because all the hoopage that is going on around here is going to have a busy week, busy weekend. Here's Greg Rakestraw, who joins us. Hello, Greg. Hello, my friend, and I have a busy Saturday, but it is my time of the year that, other than my Saturday gigs for a couple of weeks, life kind of slows down a little bit for me, and uh, uh, as I wrap up basketball next week, I will have fit in a full NBA season, 82 games in basically the span of five months. So I'm I'm doing a little bit of a break right now. Nice. So Matt Gay, overnight, uh, the news came out. It broke that he was signed $22.5 million for four years. And let me give you my thoughts on it. Now, I know a lot of people want to make fun of it. And I don't blame the people because the Colts are in a spot to where if they make kind of an odd move, so to speak, People are going to make fun of it. That's just where they are and who they are right now. But to me, some of the knowledge behind it is this. Um, I know a lot of teams are, are wanting to get a consistent kicker with length more so than ever now. But for a Colts team that's going into a season, certainly with a rookie quarterback, everybody assumes, including myself, don't you want to have somebody where you're thinking if a drive stalls, you can still get points? Whereas other teams out there, if the Buffalo Bills don't go the length of the field, everybody's going to be upset about that. But if you're the Colts and you have a drive stall, you still want to have the best opportunity and consistent opportunity to get points out of that. How much of that thinking goes into a somewhat surprising signing like this? A lot of it. I mean, I guess I would break it down like this. Is Matt Gay an upgrade over what you had here? Yes. Even though Chase McLaughlin was a good part of a bad season, is Matt Gay better? Yes. Is everything you said accurate? Yes. I still think you help your rookie quarterback by going out and getting some 
go out and getting a few more weapons for him. Good idea. Uh, at the wide receiver <laughs> position, and hopefully that part of the equation is coming up sometime sooner rather than later. Yeah, good idea right there. That surprised you? But that was their target, their first outside of re-signing their own, um, as they did with Taekwon Lewis a day earlier. That surprised you that was their first move? A little bit, but if you remember, uh, was it was it 2018 that the first move was to sign the veteran punter from the Vikings? That that was the first actual deal made? And then, or was it maybe, maybe even 2017? Oh, yeah. And Rigoberto Sanchez beat him for the <laughs> job. And I forgive me, I, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. Um, but he was with the Vikings, was the first free agent of many that were signed, and didn't make the team out of training camp. So, Well, in the polling era, they made that move for Vinatarian free agency, right? Didn't that at the time surprise some folks? That's a that, that's a little bit of a difference. No, yeah, I, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to justify this move with it. I'm just going right. back and making a comparison, I guess. So. Yes, yes. If Matt Gay has a fraction <laughs> of the impact that Adam Vinatieri did no. here, then Chris Ballard did no. a hell of a job in bringing in. No, what, what I'm saying is, and I know that was different because they were at the end of the line with uh, their pass kicker at that point, but. It just you go and they were ready built right then too. They weren't like this one and they were trying to to squeeze a squeeze a lot, Greg, out of not much at that present time. But that's what Polian did. I think that was a Polian first move, was it not, in a free agency period back then? And that would have been before the two thousand five C's, if I remember right. Maybe it's maybe it's actually two thousand that was two thousand six for the two thousand six season, because obviously that's the one that carried them on to the Super Bowl. Yeah, so Greg Rakestraw with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Do you suspect that they're going to make some moves on some offensive help for their rookie quarterback here, or is this going to be kind of what we're seeing? Is this going to be a high watermark for this free agency well, period? I, I, you know, I, I heard Zach Kiefer talking about this earlier today with with uh, Kevin and Query, and that you know there is it, it's not a great free agent class, and there's not been a break the bank type of wide receiver that you have seen um, over the last few years. I've got to think that you're going to get some veteran wide receiver help at some point that you simply have to, but just because you have to be thinking that second round draft pick might have to be mobile in case you, in case you feel you have to get the three to get the guy that you want at quarterback. Again, your running back position is fine. You invested with two draft picks in the tight end spot last year. In theory, those guys are going to keep developing. Your tight end spot is fine. What I want to see is another offensive lineman brought in to provide challenge, more competition, et cetera, for the guys that are the incumbents there. But, again, go out and get me a veteran wide receiver. And I'm not saying an Odell Beckham Jr. Just get me somebody that you know is going to be a solid third or fourth option, a, even a, a, a hands guy, a move the chains guy, a safety valve for your young quarterback. To me, you have to go out and get some help at wide receiver. It's like Greg Rakestraw talking about this weekend being active. Are you going to be at Southport? No, I will be at Newcastle. Okay. Uh, because the, the, the 2A teams are coming to Southport. Yeah. And they're, they're the storylines, obviously one very negative one earlier. Yeah, today, we're going to have to get to that one, too, because that's yeah. that's not a new story, unfortunately, for Joey and Linton. Exactly. But the teams themselves and the players are really good. But, no, I am following uh, the 4A teams out to Newcastle. So I will see Ben Davis, Brownsburg for a second week in a row. 
I will see Bloomington North for the first time since last year's semi-state at Washington. And I will see Jennings County for the first time. I have to go back and look this up. I've done one Jennings County game over the years. It was at Franklin High School. Kendall Wildy was still coaching the team. It was sometime in the 99-2000-2001 era. It's the one time I've had Jennings County on a broadcast in my nearly 30-year career. And I will see them play in a semi-state for the first time in 25 years on Saturday. Is Jennings County similar to what we saw in Evansville Wrights when they were good four or five years ago, Greg? They get up and down the floor like they did. They do, but they, they again, they're a good team. Don't get me wrong. They're not as good as that Wrights team was. You know, that Wrights team had a couple of kids that played at USI and had the Smith kids that played at Evansville and, and then Missouri. That was a team that had, you know, three or four really outstanding basketball players and, and Division One or Borderline Division One kids. Jennings County's got a couple of kids going to play college basketball after their days at Jennings County are done. But it, it's, a, it's a different level of talent. And while they get up and down the floor, it is not as amazingly frenetic as Mike Adams' team was back in 2015. Well, Kokomo's in Michigan City, Fort Wayne, Wayne, Kokomo, Penn, and Hammond Central up there, right? Correct, and and Kokomo and Penn are obviously the favorites. Hammond Central is really good, and Hammond Central doesn't get probably the attention they deserve because they play so many schools from Chicago. And it makes sense. I mean, my goodness, the state line's like a mile and a half away from that brand-new campus at Hammond Central High School, so they play great competition in Chicago. When Hammond was a 3A school, they made a habit of kind of coming down here and playing in like the Brownsburg tip-off event. They played in the Sneakers for Santa event last year, didn't play in it this year. They played in North Central's holiday tournament a couple of years ago, and I got a chance to see them. Those kids have graduated, but the head coach and Larry Moore is still there. They're a good team. Wayne is a great story. You know, Wayne has not played a semi-state game for 42 years. This was their first sectional championship in 29 and found a way to beat Noblesville late. But Kokomo and Penn are, are the likely favorites in the morning games up in Michigan City. All right. Seymour's got Scottsburg, North Davies, which should be fantastic. And North Davies is a great story we've talked about before. Garrett and Beach Grove. I think Beach Grove is also a great story, yep. considering what they did a year ago. And then you know, we talked about negativity surrounding a coach. Uh, going on right now, they certainly had a great deal of negativity surrounding their coach. They moved on, and they're back in the semi-state. That's a hell of a story. That's a heck of a story. And without Mike Renfro, and again, their their best returning player, who was a star in the state championship game in Anthony Ball last year, uh, transferred out uh, and, and is not with that Beach Grove team. Now, that is a class at Beach Grove. I think they have ten, I think they have ten senior boys basketball players on that team. And basically, last year's team was two seniors, or both both got minutes. But it was largely a group other than Anthony Ball that had been together and had grown up together. And so this is a team that knows exactly where the other one is going to be. They are probably not as high end um, in terms of talent as they were a year ago. But because three A is so wide open in the southern half of the bracket. They absolutely could be right back in the exact same game they were in last year, which is a 3A championship game. And of note, Beach Grove has played both North Davies and Northwood already this season. North Davies was a close loss at Southport, and they are the only team other than Ben Davis 
to beat Northwood, who is the favorite in 3A this year. Again, that game took place at Brownsburg back on December the 3rd as well. Wow. It's, uh, Greg Gregstraw with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Southport, as you mentioned, I saw my friend BT do ask you about Brownstown Central, their matchup with Cecina, and then Park Heritage and Linton Stockton. I know them as Linton. The Miners uh, got a heavy dose of really bad, ridiculous, bad decision-making news yep. regarding their coach this morning. Yeah, for those who don't know, um, the older uh, of, uh, you know, Joey Hart, we'll talk about him as the coach and, and then his son as the player. For a second time, really, since, you know, Christmas holiday, right. he's been involved in a driving under the influence, operating a vehicle while intoxicated uh, charge. Um, and, you know, had spent some time away from the team, had come back. It happens again today. He's suspended. I would imagine if you're the folks at Linton Stockton, he simply suspended until whenever your season is over. And at that point in time, you make a move and you go in a different direction. And you never want to see this happen ever, period, a first time, let alone a second time. But now this serves as a massive distraction going into what should be a great weekend because Linton Stockton's really good. They haven't lost to anybody from the state of Indiana. Their one loss is to I think either Union or Cooper um, out of northern Kentucky yeah, correct. Uh, or, or, yeah. or earlier this year. Um, and Joey Hart's an Indiana All-Star. He's going to play at Central Florida next year. You know, Brownstown matches them in terms of having that great dynamic Division One talent in Jack Benner, who is going to play at Purdue a year from now uh, as he is a junior. And then Jim Stambro's done a great job coaching up Cecina. He got hired in September, and, and they're, in, they're in the semi-state. Park Heritage is young. They were in the state finals two years ago. This is a largely different group. But Rich Shelsky's done a heck of a job in coaching up, and they're probably here about a year ahead. That, that's Rockville, right? Is that Rockville? That, that is the merger of Rockville and Turkey Run is gotcha. what that is. And I, and I think they're in year four or five, and they've now reached the semi-state twice. That's 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 pretty impressive. So um, so anyway, that that's kind of the four-team breakdown. And let's face it, everybody's kind of pointing towards this Brownstown, Linton, Stockton showdown in the championship game. That could still happen. But it's there's a bit of a, of a bit of a cloud kind of hanging over that that semi-state and that matchup because of what happened earlier today. Yeah, I know him really well too, really well. His uh, his his best friend was my roommate in college, and uh, I uh, I hate it, man. But just just a, an incredibly bad decision on all right yeah. and, and again for him right now I, I would assume that you know even with this big deal going on because you know Joey is such a good player and a good kid. Uh, going down the stretch, trying to get to the the state championship game, he's he's got much bigger issues to get right than thinking about coaching about yeah. basketball or anything right now. Greg, full disclosure. Uh, we, let, let's just hope Dad gets help, but it's it's frankly to some degree like what Mike Renfro went through at Beach Grove. Yeah. Hey, I, I I hope you get help. I hope your life gets right. It's not time for you to coach in this basketball team right now. You you take care of this and. Maybe at some point in time down the road, we'll have a conversation about getting back in the coaching ranks again. That's uh, Greg Rakestraw with us. All right, before I let you go, a little bit of college angle. IU, Purdue, what did you think about their draws? Um, you know, for, for IU, I thought being a 4C was legitimate. You know, the, the, the top of the MAC was really good this year. So when you're playing as a 4 or 5 seed, you are getting the best teams out of a one-bid one big league. So their opponent in Kent State, pretty doggone good. Um, and so IU's got to be ready. And, again, uh, I, I thought this was has been well described this week. You could say that IU's ceiling may be even higher than Purdue in terms of what they can accomplish. 
But, man, they just bottom out sometimes, and you're left scratching your head. Like, and, and that's not even the Penn State game in the semifinals. I'm going back to the Iowa game the week before. We're coming off all this momentum. You just won at Purdue, and you were dreadfully bad at home against Iowa. Uh, and so you're like, okay, which IU team is going to show up? So this will not be a cakewalk uh, against Kent State. For Purdue, you get kind of a bingo-free space with the play-in game winner in game number one. But Florida Atlantic or Memphis, whoever they're going to see in game number two, that's a little scary. Uh, and so I just hope for Purdue's sake this is not another – Story in Purdue postseason's gone wrong where expectations go haywire. And, you know, to me, the direct corollary here is the 1996 Purdue basketball team that was a number one seed that surprised a lot of folks. They were home after the first weekend of the tournament. And I hope to goodness for Purdue's sake, because I am, you know, I, I root for Purdue. I do. I want to. I wasn't here in my youth, but I'm such a big fan of Matt Painter and know so many of the people that are involved with that program and, frankly, covered so many of the players because they have so many Indiana high school kids in the roster. I want them to win the whole stinking thing. I'm worried about them not getting out of the first weekend, John. I, I think about it from this standpoint, too. There are every other team basically has similar concerns, but yeah. it seems like that some of these boiler concerns have been consistent and especially as of late consistent and that's right. that's something in the short term you got to try to shake off i mean you really do that's what we're going to see this year you're going to see a team that's going to get hot for four or five games and transfer that into a final four you know get to a final four by by virtue of that and i don't think it's going to end up being you know one of these great teams that we think i think it's going to be a bit of a surprise because everybody greg easily can have holes poked into why you believe they could get ousted after game number one or game number two here we always put too much stock into what happens in a conference tournament unless you had to win that conference tournament to get your way into the dance what Memphis did the last two days in the American Athletic Conference Tournament, and I have no idea how to properly judge, other than Houston, how good that league is. But I know that Ron had his best team in Tulane in four years, and Memphis beat them by 40. I know that Houston had their best player get hurt, and so maybe they kind of you know, pulled the brakes a little bit in that final, and Memphis smoked them in that final. So the fact that Memphis is on a bit of a roll heading in there and the fact that Florida Atlantic, and you're going to have Dusty on coming up later, you know, has 31 wins. Uh, Again, both of those scare me in that potential 8-9 upset opportunity for Purdue. It's both a good thing and a bad thing that seemingly Purdue has won so many close games this year. It tells you how to get it done. At some point in time, your number comes up. And I hope it's the former and not the latter for Matt's team. You can look at all these higher-seeded teams, not as high as Purdue, but the highest seeding of teams, like Marquette, for example. I mean, Purdue, yep. people forget Purdue has ownership of a win, but Marquette back then was much different than what we have seen recently. Of course, absolutely. But, but I mean, let's face it, John, the college basketball well, season is so long. Yeah. You've about a lot of teams. T- Tennessee's missing a player as the four right. seed. I mean, Kentucky's a six seed. I mean, they were everybody's trying to get their coach fired over the course of the season. Kansas State had a moment against Kansas about a month and a half ago at home, but they've been kind of on and off since. It, it literally is. Duke just kind of got good here down the stretch, and Purdue has ownership with a win over them early in the season, too. It's just such a massive jump ball. It really is. 
this is not the year for, for a chalk bracket. And because we all think that's the case, you know what's going to happen? Three or four one seeds are going to make it to the final four. And if that's the case for Purdue, <laughs> yeah. good for them. It's uh, Greg Rakestraw with us, and you're going to Newcastle this weekend, correct? Uh, I am going to Newcastle, yes. So, again, morning session is uh, Ben Davis in Bloomington North, Brownsburg in Jennings County, then winners get together at 8. And all of those games are exclusive to IHSAATV.org. It is pay-per-view, but the deal that you get to watch all 24 games across the state is ridiculous. For 20 bucks, less than a dollar a game, you get to watch every semi-state game from your phone, from your laptop, from your smart TV. So while I want to see 9,000 people at Newcastle, and I just might because I think two-thirds of them are coming from Jennings County, their support has been crazy the first and, and, and the most wonderful way possible um, in, in the first two weeks of this tournament. If you can't make it, go to IHSATV.org because, again, that's a heck of a deal and you're supporting high school athletics in the process. How many schools in the state only have one high school? I'm assuming Jennings County is one of those, right? Um, let's see if we can do these off the top of our head and not completely kill your clock. I know you're such a big concern of that uh, when it comes to, 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 to the breaks. Uh, Blackford, yeah. Rising Sun, um, Owen Valley, Benton Central, Crawford County, Jennings County. Switzerland I, County. And Switzerland County would be, would be, I think that is it, because even though Franklin County is the only public high school in that county, Oldenburg is in Franklin County. Right. There is a second high school with Oldenburg Academy. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. I think you, you I think you got that on the mark there. And I kept you on, I kept you on schedule, which again I know is is a big deal for you. What about Pike Central? Pike Central will be in that group. See, it was wrong. Woo! There we go, baby. Hey, give it to me for Southwestern Indiana right there. My apologies to all of you fine folks (laughs) listening in Petersburg as we speak. (laughs) Appreciate you, buddy. Thank you.